This is Jim O'Donnell from the Taos Land Trust, and you are listening to the Taos Land Trust radio show where we talk about land, water, and culture in northern New Mexico. On the show with me today is Amy Bell of Groundwork Studio, and uh, she is calling in from Albuquerque, where her office is located. Amy is um, been helping us with helping the Taos Land Trust with the the plans for Rio Fernando Park. She's also involved in Main Street, uh, which we'll talk about further down the road here, uh, the Main Street project here in town. And uh, so, Amy, do we got you there? Good morning. How are you this morning? I'm doing well. It is nice to have some cooler temperatures, that's for sure. Yeah, it has. It's been a hot, dry summer. Um, well, Amy, how about uh, introduce yourself a little bit? Tell us um, about your background and um, and your your studio. Sure. So, so yeah. So, I am a landscape architect and also a certified arborist. Um, my studio is called Groundwork Studio, and we're based in Albuquerque, in New Mexico, and. Um, we, I started Groundwork Studio about almost four years ago now. Um, we're a subsidiary of FBT Architects, which is the second largest architecture firm in the state, um, with satellite offices in Farmington, Lubbock, and Colorado Springs. Um, so we have the uh, privilege of working with FBT on their projects for site and landscape design, but also the uh, independence of working um, on our own with other architects and engineers and, and also with our clients directly. So we have um, a really great deal of freedom in the type of projects that we get to, to work on. And, and I think as a result, we've, um, we get to work with some really cool clients like the Taos Land Trust. Um, but we do... Um, a range of projects, like the, the Rio Fernando Master Plan is a master planning project looking at a, a larger site and development over a number of years. Uh, we do projects that are related to buildings like schools. Uh, we do streetscape projects, um, recreational projects, parks, playgrounds, athletic facilities, um, you know, public buildings. So most, you know, most of the work that we do is for um, public entities. And then, as Jim, as you mentioned, um, we also uh, get to work with uh, the New Mexico Main Street program. Uh, I have the honor of being their landscape architect uh, and urban design revitalization specialist. So we get to work with the uh, Main Street and Frontier communities all over the state, which is just a really neat opportunity to, to see how different communities are um, addressing local economic development and, uh, and community building. And um, it, it's just a really neat way to, to compare different approaches and, and help um, a lot of our more rural communities uh, you know, revitalize their, their downtowns. Um, yeah, we'll, we'll dive into the Main Street uh, project more in depth here in a little bit. Um, yeah. Yeah. So, and tell us a little bit more about your background. Where did you go to school and, and, uh, yeah, so I, I grew up, um, just east of, um, in the East Bay area in California. And so I did my undergraduate work at, uh, UC Santa Barbara, which was really great until I needed to uh, find a job out there because, 
<laughs> a lot of competition. Yeah. And a lot of folks want to stay in Santa Barbara. It's, it's beautiful. Um, but then I, so I, my degree was in environmental studies and geography. And um, I, you know, honestly didn't even know what landscape architecture was until after I graduated. I, I thought I wanted to be a, uh, a teacher. And so I spent some time as a teacher's aide and working in daycares um, really sort of focused on school gardens and, um, you know, science education, uh, STEM education for elementary school age kids. And um, through that work with the school gardens, volunteer work discovered this thing called landscape architecture. And I was like, wow, like, I, could, I could do this for a job. <laughs> and what, what was the attraction there? Well, I think, you know, for me, being able to work with students in an outdoor education school garden environment, you know, for me, made it really clear how that kind of hands-on interaction with living things and, and the the things that sustain us, you know, growing food, uh, for sure, is, is just really empowering for understanding our connection to the land and to each other, to history and culture, um, and is a really great way for for, um, you know, making education relevant, bringing all of those different topic areas together. So instead of reading about it in a book, you're, you know, maybe maybe you're reading stories from a book, but it's applied directly to your, you know, sort of physical experience with um, with place and other living things. And so it was, it was just a, it was a powerful experience for me in understanding, you know, the the, the statement that all education is environmental. And so. You know, learning that well. Okay, so we could. I can. I can be an educator. I can. I can work with people, and we can learn from each other through the design process, and then through the design of physical space was was really really cool. So, so yeah. So then I started to learn about landscape architecture graduate programs, and came to the University of New Mexico to get my master's in landscape architecture there. Um, there's a. There's a somewhat limited amount of schools you can go to to get your degree in landscape architecture so that you can then um, become a registered landscape architect. It's, right. it's similar to architects where there's a series of tests you have to take. You have to have attended an accredited school and uh, you know have a certain amount of work experience before you can get licensed. Um, yeah, and uh, you know, as, as you know, I did my master's in community and regional planning at, at UNM, and uh, right. and started to do the uh, to do a joint degree in in uh, with the landscape architecture program and then panicked because I felt like oh my god I need a job I better just graduate. <laughs> well, it, it, it was it was an interesting situation with you know with landscape architects and uh, you know when I started school which was in. 2005, there was like, you know, you, you, at the time it was like, well, you could get a job as a landscape architect anywhere. There were not enough landscape architects. And then, of course, you know, in the course of, it was a three years master's program, but, you know, we, we the recession hit and <laughs> by the time I graduated, it was very difficult to get a job right, uh, as a right. landscape architect. A number of my colleagues ended up going back to like accounting or you know whatever they were doing before. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, a lot of the people that I graduated went on to be in either into politics or to law or to teaching. Yeah, so those those jobs are limited. Yeah, yeah, but there's there's really nice you know overlap between landscape architecture and community and regional planning and I you know I'm finding myself at this point thinking like wow oh, I should have taken more 
CRP classes, but I, I get to just work with great, you know, professionals like you. Right, exactly. Can fill me in. So. Um, you know, one of the things, one of the things that that has always stuck in my mind from from my time at community and regional planning was this concept kind of back uh, about a hundred years ago, hundred and twenty years ago in planning, where design was uh, thought to improve the way people act and the way people behave and the way people interact with society. So both in architecture and in landscape architecture and in how communities were planned, a, a lot of times there was a, there was a somewhat utopian idea that you, if you, if you did all that right and you had good design and good architecture, good layout, you could improve society. And that, that has always, that has always stuck with me uh, because I, I actually kind of still, still feel there's some accuracy in that. And I wondered what your thoughts on that are. I, I I couldn't agree more, and I think it's it's a real central part of you know our groundwork studios business philosophy. This idea that you know when we improve our surroundings, we transform ourselves. Um, uh-huh. Thinking about design and planning as this transformational process, you know, and I think that you know it's both as as you say, it's both in that process of design and planning. So you know, that year long or 18 months or, you know, even if it's just a couple of months of, you know, understanding the place and then imagining what it could be. Um, And then, you know, and then the physical transformation of the space, you know, we we learn as a design team working with communities um, more about ourselves when we think about the kinds of places that we want to be in. And it, it really struck me, you know, working especially with, um, school children, but but I think it's true for all ages and all people in our communities. You know, this idea that we can affect the shape of our surroundings that that it is, you know, it's within our power. And right, right, and and it, it it should be within our power. And I think it's you know, um, the work that we do is a question of building civic engagement and civic responsibility, um, especially for public places, right? Because, you know, people, the, the people that are using that space for, you know, to take their kids to go play at the park, to interact with other people, to go shopping, to work, to eat their lunch, you know, that, those places should serve their needs. But at the same time, you know, we all need to be contributing to the, the health and well-being of those places. So, so yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I I, I feel very lucky that I get to work in a profession where where we have that potential to improve quality of life. Right, um, I, I for do think and communities. Yeah, absolutely. I think that landscape architecture has a great uh, just and architecture and planning in general has a great opportunity to positively impact people's lives, both uh, you know visually and health wise and economically. Yes, absolutely. And I think, you know, it's it's really fantastic, I think, that we get to talk about the Rio Fernando Park project and then also, you know, the, the Main Street process, because I think, you know, they're both just really excellent examples of that, um, of that happening. Yeah. This is Jim O'Donnell yeah. from the Talos Land Trust, and I'm speaking with Amy Bell from Groundwork Studio, and we're talking about uh, planning and landscape architecture and specifically how that relates to uh, Rio Fernando Park, which 
um, as most of you know, is a 20-acre piece of land located in the center of Taos, right next to Fred Baca Park along the Rio Fernando, uh, that the Taos Land Trust was able to purchase in 2015. And we've been working with Amy for over a year to develop a comprehensive master plan for that site. So Amy, talk a little bit about the goals of the process, not necessarily the design and the plan yet, but what are the goals of the process? Sure, sure. Well, I think, um, you know, I was really, really excited when I heard from Christina Ortez, Executive Director of the Taos Land Trust last year. I think it was late summer. I'd also heard a little bit about the project from um, Ben Wright, who is an arborist in, in, in Taos and now is, is working with the Land Trust. Because, it, you know, it's a, it's a really special property um, with, you know, with the river, the Rio Fernando, the wetlands, the acequia, um, agri- you know, it's degraded, but agricultural land, you know, just a really great synergy of site features. And, you know, the idea that, that the land trust, you know, had this forethought of, you know, we want to do these things with this property, but we really need... Uh, one, to uh, engage with the communities in Taos, um, the different different populations within Taos, um, to get an understanding of how the property can meet uh, community need, um, but then also to, to really sort of put together that plan so that things are happening in a logical sequence and, they, and the land trust can... Um, very intelligently pursue funds to to implement these different parts, these different um, pieces of the property in a in a logical sequence. You know, we always talk about you know, well, why do you need a master plan? And it's like, well, you don't want to you don't want to get a grant for thirty thousand dollars and then do something and then get a grant for something else, which means you have to redo half of what you just spent thirty grand on. So the the master plan is really a guide. Um, for intelligent um, and responsible implementation. And community-informed. Exactly, yeah. And I think, I mean, I would say, you know, out of out of the clients that I've worked with, you know, working with the Land Trust has just been really inspirational because of the the very strong commitment that the Land Trust has to really trying to authentically engage with, with the Taos community and, and be responsive with the development of this property and, and, and how this property connects to other land trust properties and conservation easements so that it, it is a resource and, it, you know, really, really does meet those community needs and, and desires. You know, and that's, you know, that's why it's been over over a year, you know. Right, it's, it's been a long process. Like, oh my gosh, why has it taken so long? Right, and just so everybody knows, we will be releasing the final master plan uh, probably in about a month to a month and a half. Isn't that right? Right. So, um, and I don't know if we want to talk about the Matanza. Maybe we'll bring that up later, but but that event is exactly a month from now on October 6th, and, and that's where we will share the final master plan, the layout, the all of the basic concepts, the phasing, the full master plan document, there's there's some additional detail that goes into that, so that might stretch out just a little bit longer to make sure that, 
you know, our steering committee, the land trust board, um, and everyone is is good with with stuff that's included in there. But but yes, yeah, we're we're approaching we're approaching the the final plan, which is very exciting. It is really exciting. Um, you know, what one of yeah. the th- I want to step back though to to a year ago when we started this, or a year and a half ago even, and. It, I thought that you brought some really unique skills and experience and tools to the table to help this public planning process along. And I think what you brought to the table allowed us to get an incredible amount of community input. And I'd like you to talk about some of those tools. I mean, we had a lot of volunteer days and party days and so on and so forth, but Talk a little bit about how you approach and how you approached the Rio Fernando process to 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 garner that public enthusiasm. Yeah, well, I think you know when we started, we we, we had this conversation about all of the planning processes that that the Taos community has been through in the last several years, and you know particularly, you know it was kind of nice that there was a parallel process with the Strong at Heart. Project, but but there was real concern. I think you know from the land trust, you know from some of the stakeholders that we had involved, and I think for me too because I hear this from a lot of folks. This like planning fatigue, you know, like right. how, are we just going to all get together and wave our arms around and talk about stuff and nothing is going to happen? So I was like, how can we make this you know a, a planning process that that folks want to be involved in and that as they're involved in it, they can see real. Uh, you know, tangible change, and it, you know it—it's—it's it's been a real, it, it's a very exciting, different process in that regard. Because you know, I think about the work that we've done with with the engagement, but then also the ability to, for as the land trust has worked the land and gotten volunteers and YCC crews, and then also as a as a part of the events and the gatherings that we've done for the planning process, you know, actually implementing physical change on the site as part of the design, um, I, I feel like is is a is a fairly unique model, but something that we can replicate. I think with with really good outcomes. Use it so, so we started out, you know, last year with the uh, with the kickoff Matanza in October, thinking about well, how can we, you know, how can we go beyond just asking people what they want, <laughs> you know, because we think about, I think about our sort of conventional, traditional definition of, you know, community engagement. It's like, oh, well, the public meeting, you know, it's like the meeting on Tuesday night at 7 o'clock that three people show up to. Like, well, how do we, how do we not do that? <laughs> because right. we, don't, we don't get good input that way. And, and no, know, nor and, do we get good, good participation. Right, 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 exactly, exactly. Um, you know, so we, we don't get representative participation. It's not a good cross-section of, of who is actually in the community because it really just it really just isolates, you know, those folks who are able to attend at that time. And I think about myself, and I'm like, do I want to? Go to that meeting? Right. No. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I want to be an engaged citizen, but I don't want. I don't even want to do that. Okay, I gotta so, feed my you know, kids. Go ahead. I'm sorry. No, I was just saying there's there's a lot of considerations from work to uh, feeding your kids to you know helping your kids with homework or whatever else. There's a people have a lot on their plate 
all of us have a lot on our plate. And um, exactly. And and is it is it something where you can bring your children? And and is it is it an activity or a, a meeting that engages with youth and and asks their opinion? I think so many times we just discount their input, which is which is a huge loss because when we think about public spaces, you know, children and youth are a, a huge percentage of the people who are using it. And then, it, you know, it, you can get into the whole discussion of youth retention and, you know, long-term connection to place. But I think, you know, to, to start off, the, the, the land trust, um, you know, just genius in saying, well, our kickoff event is not going to be a meeting. It's going to be a matanza. It's going to be a you know, culturally significant event in which we make food together. Right. You know, that's then that's a really that's a really different way I think of thinking about how we get together as a as a community and do do a design and planning process. And so here's an event that's on a weekend. You know, so we don't have conflicting work schedules. P- potentially, some people might. Still, but it, it's a very family-centered. You know, bring your kid. You know, there was we talked specifically about what is there going to be for kids to do here. You know, and and, and so we want to let people know it's okay to to bring your children and to bring your families and to bring your grandmother, and everyone is welcome and everyone's going to be comfortable and they're all going to eat really good food that we're going to make together. And right. so I think just just even you know sort of starting with that as the kickoff event set it up for success and then you know we sort of brainstormed like well what activities can we do to you know well we don't we're just starting the project we don't have any design yet and and honestly you know we wanted to start the process with a very long sort of site analysis and and understanding what was there before we really jumped into design so we we put together some some thoughts for um, activities that you know, would be interactive, where we would obtain information about the community and and their vision for the place, but then also get people, you know, physically interacting with something. So we made a, um, we called it the Web of Life. It was a string sculpture with three major sculptures or, or major structures that identified I am. So, you know, and, and these were categories like, are you a teacher? Are you a, a neighbor? Are you a artist? Are you a child, are you a, a parent, you, you know, I mean, it was categories like that. So who, so we were understanding who was at this event and, and who, who are, who, who is part of the community. And then um, I, I'd like, so, so then giving folks the opportunity to say what they would like to see on the property, you know, whether it was pollinator gardens or agricultural demonstration, wetlands restoration, and then, and then the third one, which is which was is my favorite, and and I, I I'm excited because we did it here, and then we've been doing this in other communities too. As a result, is the category of I can. So um, I can teach, I can donate money, I can volunteer my time. Um, you know, so it's 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 a full circle of you know finding out who who the park is serving what is needed to to serve that community and then what that community is willing to do to make it happen which which all of those pieces need to come into play to make something like this successful um, and then we have this really beautiful uh sculpture at the end because folks tied different colored yarn to each of these pieces and so it created this really neat kind of web 
Um, That's right. It was. And we also it, did. We. I'm sorry. Go ahead. It was. It was really a a, a cool um, a cool sculpture that developed out of that com- community participation. This is Jim O'Donnell from the Talus Land Trust, and I am on the line with Amy Bell of Groundwork Studio, and we are talking about the planning process that we've gone through for. Rio Fernando Park. And again, Rio Fernando Park is a 20-acre piece of land that the Land Trust purchased in 2015. It's located right next to Fred Baca Park in the middle of Taos. This is going to be a public park with a lot of specific functions. And over the past year, year and a half, we've gone through a very comprehensive community-oriented planning process with the help of Amy in order to gain input from the community on what we would like to eventually have at Rio Fernando Park. So Amy was just telling us about uh, the Matanza that we had about a year ago where we had a, a large community event. We had 100, 120 people, I believe. And to gain community input on what we'd like to see, on what the community would like to see in the park, uh, Amy had some kind of unique tools like the development of a string sculpture and and other things. Uh, so, Amy, why don't you dive back in where you left off before the break? Okay, thanks, Jim. And, yeah, that, that um, concert at Kit Carson Park sounds really great. It does sound um, cool. Uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> well, I want to I just um, let everyone know, too, be, you know, because we're, we're talking and, you know, I think trying to verbally describe some things that are, you know, an image is worth a thousand words, but... Uh, we have uh, a project website, actually, riofernandopark.org, where if you go on there, you can see photographs of the of the property. You can see um, there's a category at the top called events. If you want to go take a look at images of, of all the events, and, and we've had one, two, I mean, there's been like eight or you know, eight or ten events over the last year um, that have been held at the park where you can see images of that and read about what was done. Um, and then also uh, take a look at the um, master plan drafts that have been put together so far to, to see what's being proposed for the site. So that's riofernandopark.com. Um, uh, org. Dot org. Riofernandopark.org. You can also access it through... Um, the Talus Land Trust website, which is taluslandtrust.org. Yeah, so check check that out. Um, there are some some interactive maps on there too, which is kind of fun if you want to if you've been to the site and you want to make comments. But uh, but yeah, so I, I think you know, and maybe maybe taking a little step back and and talking about you know the kickoff event, I think was really impactful, and then. You know, we had um, sort of master plan focused events then almost every, it wasn't every month, but maybe every almost. other month after that. Um, and and uh, really tried to figure out, you know, what can we do that um, gets folks, you know, out on the out on the land and interacting with the space and, and then, you know, providing their feedback about their reactions to that and and how the space could be, developed um, so that they would want to spend more more time there. And, and I think, you know, again, sort of going back to this idea of asking folks, what are they willing to do? What is the I can portion? Uh, we see this, this property as a lot of the things that we're proposing, the, the land trust can't do them by themselves. You know, things like 
agricultural demonstration, um, different kinds of demonstration gardens, um, you know, it upkeep, upkeep of the wetlands restoration areas, uh, sequia demonstration. That these are all things that are being proposed for the property that require community partnerships and so collaboration and coordination with uh, other organizations in-house. And, and I wanted to mention, too, that, that we, you know, we did the community events, but another really important part of the planning process has been monthly steering committee meetings. And, and we have a, a very, um, you know, long list of steering committee members, actually, that, that represents a lot of different community leaders and community groups, including the Taos Pueblo and uh, UNM uh, Taos and uh, the the town and um, you know Project Dream Tree, the Taos High School. We we had a member on our steering committee who is a uh, Taos High School student who's been uh, interning with the land trust. So so we have we've have had very regular interaction and conversation with these different organizations and groups and touching base, you know, making sure that the design and planning process is is aligning with you know how all of these different organizations and agencies can work together. And I think, you know, a, a great example of how that has worked and, and, and already been sort of physically implemented is that there is now a, a gate um, between Fred Baca Park and the Rio Fernando property, where before I, there, there was a sizable hole in the right. <laughs> where people accessed uh, the property. But now there, there actually is a gate, and I know the Land Trust is working with the town on a more formal agreement for access from Fred Baca Park. And that that's just a really great example of that good communication and coordination, um, because that access, you know, it, it potentially, you know, part of what we're looking at in the master planning process is how does this property help connect, you know, town parks and rec and trails with the schools, with the, you know, downtown plaza area, because it, it, it actually is a geographically kind of a critical puzzle piece in connecting trails and, and helping folks you know, potentially get from place to place without having to drive their car. It, it is. It, it is kind of incredible once you start thinking about it because, you know, I, I drove ba- past that piece of land for years and biked past next to it for years and never thought about its position in the town and how the access points to, to like Eco Park, to Fred Baca, to other areas of town, it's, it is at a crossroads. And so it's, it's a really significant piece of land in our, in our, um, non-motorized transportation planning. Right, right, exactly. And and I think, you know, it provides potentially a, a different kind of recreational experience. I mean, Fred Baca has that really excellent, um, you know, wetlands boardwalk interpretive signage about the, the species in the wetlands and, and in the river. But, you know, as a sort of more... As, a, as an open space that has more natural areas, but then also the opportunity to demonstrate traditional agricultural, you know, and evolving agricultural methods, you know, in an arid, high desert environment. Um, it's it's a really it's a really special public space opportunity that that is so well connected to the existing parks and trail system for the town. Right. Yeah. And um, that's one of the things that we were talked about with uh, some of the other guests we've had on this show about particularly just thinking about the agriculture. There's the traditional agricultural techniques, but then there's also 
new techniques and evolving techniques and tools that farmers up here are going to need to have on hand and have in their their toolbox, so to speak, uh, as the climate changes. Exactly, and that's you know as as you know, Tim, that's been like the hot topic uh, for our planning team. And I, I wanted to mention that that part of this project as well as as something that I see as potentially unique in in the sort of convention of planning process but we we've had the opportunity on this project to involve a lot of different experts in our design team and so you know as a landscape architect you know groundwork studio is is leading this sort of overall master planning process but we have um experts addressing the you know the agricultural uh, master planning piece, you know, what are those agricultural opportunities, demonstration garden opportunities, coordination with, you know, local agricultural groups, um, you know, we have uh, the arborist, you know, Ben is putting together the, the tree management plan, also the soils management plan, we have a permaculture, I mean, actually, you know, including you, Jim, we have several folks who are um, permaculturalists who are on our design team you know, helping us, um, you know, sort of frame the the entire plan within an understanding of of permaculture process and techniques and integration. And then we've got, um, you know, the the wetlands, uh, the Keystone Ecology, who's doing the wetlands and river restoration. We've got them involved as well as, you know, also just sort of tapping other local resources in archaeological survey, biological survey, because um, there are, you know, there's consideration for like the southwest willow flycatcher, endangered species habitat on the property. You know, it's it's really nice to, to have that opportunity to work on a team with a lot of... With, really with diverse, diverse group. Yeah, diverse... Um, types of expertise, you know, because I, I really, it gives me a whole lot of confidence that, uh, you know, that the plan that we're putting together, you know, one, sort of because of the, our ability to really take the time to do the site analysis and have multiple community gatherings, um, but then also have this high level of, of local expertise, and that's the really neat thing, too, is so many of the folks that on our design team, you know, are Taosenos and live in Taos and um, really understand the types of animals and plants that that we're seeing. Um, I I really have a lot of confidence that the the recommendations that we're coming up with are are very appropriate and, you know, are going to be useful and actionable for the land trust. I agree. And one Um, of the, one of the reasons I, I feel that way just goes back to this, this process that we've gone through. I, 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 for for one of the for all the planning processes that I've con, con participated in over the years in in Taos, this one really felt like um, we really got serious community input. It was taken into account. We had a diverse input from the all the diverse members of our community, and and that gives it that gives the whole plan an added strength and an added solidity. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I think, again, you know, just, just major kudos to the land trust for making that such a big priority, because I think, uh, it, you know, I mean, I think it, I don't, I don't want to say that, you know, we're sometimes afraid of, of too much community process, because, uh, but I think a lot of times we are, because it takes time, and, and, and I think it's hard that we work. see that, uh, yeah, in, in the strong at heart, you know, 18 months, my goodness, 
<laughs> right. <laughs> um, and and so, but but I think that it's really it's so much better to not be afraid of that and to take the time that's that's needed so that folks feel like they're being heard. They they feel like they've been heard correct. I mean, because it's not just like, well, what do you want? It's it's well, what would you like to see? What are you willing to do to contribute? How do we cultivate those partnerships? Then how do we come back and say, okay, did we hear you? Accurately, is is this yes. you know is this sort of design response really responding to what you what you suggested and and that that takes time but but that time is valuable because then you end up with you know not only stronger partnerships and relationships within the community in general as a result you've got a project that is meaningful and that the folks have you know they have that ownership and that buy-in and and are potentially going to be willing to support it in the long term instead of, you know, well, I'll just, you know, sort of hang out and see if, see if, see if this park is cool or right. not. Yeah, it, we'll just see what a, happens. I think it's a more long-term, long-term kind of thing. So it's, it's worth, it's worth the extra time to just, uh, not just check check off the box. I agree. I agree. <laughs> the, the public meeting, right? So again, this is Jim O'Donnell. I'm here with Amy Bell from Groundworks Studio, and we've been talking about the planning process for Rio Fernando Park. And Amy, I know that a picture is worth a thousand words, as you said earlier, and we are on the radio, so people can go to riofernandopark.org to see some of the master plan, the draft master plan, and some of the concepts we've come up with. But can you paint us a, a general picture of where we're going and what we are going to see in this master planning document? Absolutely. So, and and I'll let folks know too, we've got, yeah, we've got the um, most recent drafts of the of the master plan up on the website um, and and you'll see it, if you're looking at it that there's a couple plans up there and the, and the first one is descriptive of our general approach to uh, thinking about uses land uses on the property and, and we're calling it a, a permaculture zone approach which really takes a look at you know sort of intensity of use in in different on different parts of the property. And so, you know, we have uh, the wetlands, riparian river portion of the property, which we, we really want to be able to protect. We want to protect that, that habitat for all the different, the, the plants and, and critters that are, that are living there. But also we want to protect it so that our community, you know, the, the community has an opportunity to see what that looks like and to, to have that firsthand experience with, you know, potentially endangered species, or you know, signs of beaver, or maybe actually seeing one of the beaver in the in the Rio, and so sort of building back from that, um, sort of less zone of less use, uh, more habitat protection, uh, nature for nature's sake, to like a zone one. So the 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 zones go from one being the the highest intensity use to five, and so looking at things like um, a new office and community center building for the land trust in that zone one area, and then potentially having community event space and an activity lawn, outdoor classroom, amphitheater, community room, and then of course you know parking in that space, and then you know between zone one and five, having those different levels of intensity of use, you know ranging from demonstration gardens that might need 
uh, day-to-day attention to more of a you know self-sustaining agricultural uh, system in like a maybe drylands farming or in a food forest, uh, and then also looking at buffer areas and and trails. And so that that was our kind of um, well not kind of I mean it was our <laughs> organizing uh, structure for for you know after hearing from hearing from the community, working with the land trust, understanding partnership potentials, you know, these these sort of major categories of what what was going to happen on the property, then the permaculture zone approach really helped us organize it spatially and put those different uses in the appropriate place. So in the two plans that you'll see there's there's two different plans, but they're very, very similar. The major difference between them is is access for anyone who's been out to the property, you'll, you'll know that the current access off of La Posta is a little hairy. It's on a, a sharp turn. The road, you know, the entrance is narrow, and it, it, it actually right now goes through some of the more critical wetland habitat area for the site. And, and then that road accesses the current land trust office, which is an old house, which is, you know, serving the land trust, at, you know, at this time. But, uh, you know, if we look at larger events happening here, school groups visiting, the, the parking, which is around a very large cottonwood tree, is just not, just really doesn't serve that kind of larger group. So we looked at, you know, where is the most appropriate place to put this higher level intensity of use, you know, parking, bus parking, you know, a, a office space for the land trust that can also serve as community meeting space. And, you know, even a, a demonstration, we've been working with local architect Alex uh, Henry to look at architectural design that would demonstrate, you know, low energy use, solar, water recycling, you know, gray water, black water. So, you know, sort of thinking, honestly, you know, the whole the whole site is this really amazing demonstration, educational opportunity. So every every piece, you know, is is a chance to to learn how to do something. Differently, and I think you know, as we, I think we, before we took the break, we were talking a little bit about learning, you know, somewhat recently. I, mean, I think we've known throughout the entire process of of the plan that we we just really don't have that much water, <laughs> right? And and this is a reality that we're facing across the state. But you know, with that permaculture approach, and you know, with all of the really great experts we have on our team, you know, it's sort of like, well, okay, so maybe we don't have enough water to do all this stuff we talked about, but Maybe we do, and and maybe you know this this property and this site and the projects that happen here are an opportunity to show how how can you have a food forest with less with less water than we think we need for right. it because that's the reality that we're moving into in in the next you know several years um, is with with climate change and absolutely um, yeah our, and, and the amount of rainfall we've yeah. really worked hard on on figuring out how we can actually create more water, how we can efficiently use what we've, what we've got there and how we can think about, um, doing things with, with almost no water. Exactly. Yeah. And, and it's, you know, it just really is a great opportunity because I, you know, this is, this is not the only property in town where, where that's an issue. And, and so it, what a, what a cool chance to experiment with different seeds, with different techniques, with different, you know, water harvesting and recycling techniques to uh, to make make more work with with less 
with less water. Absolutely. Um, Amy, we've got yeah. just three to four minutes left, and I'd like to, to, to switch gears to Main Street just really quickly. Um, but in, in any case, as, as it goes for Rio Fernando Park, check out the website, riofernandopark.org and tauslandtrust.org for maps, visuals, more information on that. And we will absolutely be talking about this more and more. And you'll see it in the newspaper and so on and so forth. So, um, but Amy, the Taos Land Trust and Groundwork Studio is participating in this Main Street process here in town, which has somewhat grown out of the Strong at Heart process. What is Main Street? Okay, so in in less than a minute. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, we've got like two or three. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> uh, so, so the the New Mexico Main Street program is housed in the Economic Development Department of the state, and so and what that that program is what's called a coordinating program that is based out of the National Main Street program. And if folks are interested in that. You can Google it. You'll find there's what's called the four-point approach. And so Main Street, and, and specifically in New Mexico, is targeted at local economic development. So that's sort of the contrast between, you know, sort of big economic development, what's called known as Big E, like Facebook coming in and creating a bunch of jobs uh, and, and sort of turning that on its head and saying, well, no, so what are our... What are the local community-based assets that we have that we can build from to generate diverse and sustainable economic development in our communities, sort of instead of that top-down approach? So, so Main Street is very um, focused on the community and, and solutions that come from the community. There's a very important partnership between the Main Street organizations. So the coordinating program is at the state, and then communities have an opportunity to create a local nonprofit organization that that is that can be accredited as Main Street. And so Talos has gone through the process of uh, applying to do this, and they're in what's what's being called the accelerator process, which means that. There's a uh, steering committee that's being developed. You know, those Main Street partners are are um, being identified and working together to figure out what is that Main Street district boundary, and then you know, what are some projects that can be done? What's some promotion that can be done that that will then allow the Taos to, to have a, an accredited Main Street organization and program? Um, and so, and those four points I'll just mention real briefly are design, promotion, economic vitality, and organization. And the idea is that for local economic development, you need all of those pieces working together. And so, obviously, I'm you know I'm focused on the design piece, but it's very hard to separate that part from the other points, if that makes sense. Right. Yeah, they're all tied together. Yeah. Absolutely. Exactly. Well, we're yeah. going to be talking a lot more about Main Street over the coming year. We'll probably have, not probably, we'll definitely have several other folks on here to talk specifically about Main Street. And we could also have Amy back to talk specifically about Main Street because it's a big process that could uh, potentially have some really nice uh, benefits for our community. So we'll, we'll, be, we'll dive into that a little bit more. Sounds great. I'd love yeah. to come back and talk about that, especially as the as the process moves forward. I think it. I agree. It's going to be very exciting, especially with with the way that the Strong at Heart process has has set everything up. You know, the 
Talos is really ready to just, you know, take that take that leap and, and do some really cool projects. So. Absolutely, absolutely. Amy, thank you for the time this morning. We need to let you go so you can get back to working on the planning document. <laughs> <laughs> well, <laughs> and, thank you so much. Emails. I really appreciate the chance to talk about this just super exciting project and, and how much I really enjoyed working with everyone at the Land Trust and, and in the Taos community. It's, it's been a very special opportunity. Awesome. Thank you for, yeah, thank you for your help and thank you for explaining all that to us this morning.